I'm Deb Ondo, and this is What's Art Got to Do With It? Conversations about aesthetic experiences and approaches to art and life. Today, I talk with Cheryl Priori, a fine art painter living in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Cheryl's path to becoming a full-time artist found her climbing Mount Kilimanjaro and trekking in Nepal, taking survival courses in the desert, and, after 12 years in the hot seat, walking away from her corporate job. Cheryl walks us through her adventures and artistic process and shares how living with depression has shaped her work in the studio. Let's get to it. Thank you, Cheryl. Welcome. A dear friend, one of my artistic mentors. I'm so grateful that you're here to kick this off with me. Thank you. It's a pleasure, Deb. Have you always felt that you have been an artist? I was very young, and there was a girl that lived across the street from me, maybe three years older than me, four years maybe. Her name was Betsy Legozo. I used to hang out with her brother, Johnny, because I was a tomboy. And But when I would go over there, I'd go and I'd see Betsy in her room, and she had all these art supplies, and she would be watercoloring and pencils, and I would always be stopping at her door and just watching. And she was actually the one that took me under her wing when I was like nine years old or 10 years old and took me out oil painting, sitting in a snowbank and <laughs> taught me how to mix colors and use turpentine back in those days. It was awesome. It's such a great testament to who we are in the world because who we are in the world enables someone else to become who they can truly be in the world. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm forever grateful to her. She validated for me at a very young age that one, it was okay to be creative and be an artist and go down that path. And she made it fun and here I am, still doing it. <laughs> still doing it. So t let's talk a little bit about that process because you had a little detour. You had a career, a good career. Yeah. I was a free spirit for a long time. I was hitchhiking and traveling and I, I, I quit college after a couple of years and uh, just wanted to get out and see the world basically and ended up in Colorado and I lived there for 11 years and it was just awesome. And I had all these different jobs, restaurant jobs. Gosh, I did everything. And there was one day where I was a, a line cook in this restaurant in Wallingford, Connecticut called Jonathan Jay's. And I came out to get a uh, soda or something in the bar and I just stopped and I just said, man, what am I doing? I got to go back to, I have to, I, I, I got to go back to school or something. So I got my portfolio together and went to the Dean of Pear College of Art, told him how badly I wanted to get back into the arts and I got accepted and ended up with a degree and got a job at Gamma One, which was my corporate job for almost 13 years in North Haven. But it was still an art job. It was more graphic oriented. Yeah, but, graphic design. Uh, yeah. So you did that for 13 years and you continued on your revolutionary path as an artist. And what was it? Was there a particular moment in time? Was there a turning point? Something that really enabled you to, to pivot into saying, you know what, I want to be an artist full time. How did that happen? In that 13 years, we were a beta site for the country and a lot of different new software. And it was, the learning curve was steep and it was always cutting edge. And I, I dug it for a long time. After I'd say 12 years, I, I realized I was getting burnt out. 
I was in the hot seat. Everybody needed everything yesterday. If you're in production, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so I just said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know I have to leave this. So I didn't have a backup plan. It was just I had a couple months worth of finances. It was set me up a little bit. Yep. And the first thing I did when I gave my notice and left my corporate job and tossed it to the wind, I got very involved in the whole New Haven, Connecticut art scene from taking painting classes to even getting back into acting. And, and it was just, I just immersed myself in the arts again because it always took a back seat, yeah. you know, to my career. What then eventually brought you to that narrow spit of sand in the yeah. middle of the ocean, that beautiful place that we like to call P-Town. Yep, I had five locations that I was looking at to relocate. Santa Fe, New Mexico, San Francisco, Burlington, Vermont, but it wasn't here. It certainly wasn't here. I, didn't, I don't think I ever knew that's wild. Yeah, all of those places had one thing in com a couple things in common. One, they were all university towns and they had they were holistic and they had a great cultural vibe and that's what I was really interested in. And then I came here and it was like, oh my god. <laughs> I had no idea it was the longest continuous art colony in America. I was here in the 70s, mm -hmm. but I, I really never really grasped the whole seen as far as an art colony and so i came here for the summer and i had tossed my career to the wind and it was a lot of things going on my landlord said i had six weeks to get out because he needed to live in my apartments everything was stored and sold and i just totally um purged timing, and, timing. yes 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 yeah. i don't think i don't think it was uh i don't think it was random i think it I was know. definitely a trajectory what my purpose was. And so I came to Provincetown, found a little shack at Beach Point for the summer. And there I was all of a sudden, boom, I'm here. And <laughs> honestly, I never left. Mm -hmm. And I've been here 20 years. You reach a point where you not do it. Yep, exactly. <laughs> People say, Oh, my God, that must have been like so hard for you to leave your corporate job after that many years. And I'm like, the decision was so easy. It was like it was a no brainer gets to that point where it's yes. I'm talking with Cheryl Rocca-Priori, a fine art painter living in Provincetown, Massachusetts. If you're enjoying this episode, please head over to iTunes and submit a review so more listeners can find us. Next, Cheryl talks about her creative process and how her work is always evolving, despite gallery owners wanting a more cohesive body of work. hanging a show you wanted to be consistent but I could never I never got that being locked into one thing so I mean there's a time when I was very political and just painting everything I was feeling about what was going on in the world and then after I got that out of my system then it was just you know I've always watched birds since I was a little girl it was inevitable that was going to be, become a series and I learned so much from nature anyway the spatial relationship as they land on the wire. And I think one of the biggest things is being an, an observer. Hmm. That, that is the, the key component. And that being that observer led me down different avenues. Like I had time to really look at birds. I had time to really 
look at how women were historically treated mm -hmm. over many thousands and gazillion years. And that empowerment took hold in, in the work that I was doing. My female figures, which I, I tend to say is my forte, because I love to paint the figure, love it. And when I am in the studio with a live model, it's really a, an amazing process. Mm. And, and the female figure resembles a landscape. Mm, yeah. I never wanted to get locked into one, one forte or box or anything. Like, you can't do that to me. I, I totally get it, because I'm- Don't I'm, lock I'm, me in! Don't, no, don't box me in, no. I think artists go through different periods where something really calls to you and you just, you mix with it and you, you become one with it, you study it, you paint it, you try it all different ways. And then there's something else that's calling and you have to, you have to just see that through. That's it. You just hit it on the head. It's a calling. Yeah. It's a yeah. calling and it gnaws at you. And then you have no other choice but to say, I have to paint this. Exactly. Yeah, you, you have to. <laughs> you have to. And it makes me sad that there might be some artists who have that feeling. And maybe that they don't do it because they are, maybe they got themselves locked into a particular genre. They do really well with a certain type of art. And I hope if you're watching out there, you, you have to go for it. Wondering if there's a correlation between what you paint and your love of life. I think it's one and the same. Yeah. I think it's so closely related that I can't even decipher one from the other. It's, they're just, they just merge. Right. You know? Yeah, I totally get that. How, how do you think your work interacts with the world? We're understanding you as the artist and how your work interacts with you as the artist, but what have you learned anything in terms of how your work interacts with the world? Has that taught you anything? If there's one thing I learned, and I never want to stop learning, by the way, is just put it out there because the world needs it. Yeah. You know, especially in these times. Oh my goodness. You, if you feel something deeply and you put it out, you, you create something, there's always a place for it in the world. Yeah. It's your voice. It's something you have to say. Yeah. And so it's so important for you to, for artists to really do that. Just put it out there, especially with social media now. I know. You could just post your work online and who knows who's going to see it. It's not necessarily for the all about the sale, although that's wonderful. Yep. And that's how we live. But it's also, wow, I love how this person just captured this essence and was able to create something like that. Are there artists that have really inspired you, that have shown you the way, if you will? In terms of masters, I've been very influenced by Vincent van Gogh from a young age, Matisse, Diebenkorn, Richard Diebenkorn, Picasso, and Robert Motherwell as <laughs> the la latest one. I'm just so blown away. And I'm so grateful that I live in a place where this is one of those places where you just, you meet so many artists and you're able to talk about your work with them and they are to you. So Painting with Cynthia Packard, taking a workshop with her is like going to church. You're so in the zone for three days and it's so moving and so inspiring. It's just, a, it's so to name a few, the Packard family, obviously. Cynthia, she did that live series on Facebook when the pandemic hit. 
said, wow. She's a great teacher. Talk about going to church. Just to be able to witness her in the studio and just to be able to witness her in the zone. Exactly. And she puts that amount of energy into her workshops with her students. It's just, it, it's great. Yeah. I'll bet. I think I, I, I want to teach someday. Well, Cheryl, I was just thinking, I think you'd be a fabulous teacher. You I think so? I really do. You could do a series. People would pay for it. It'd be great. I, I think I told you that someone had contacted me in regard to them starting homeschooling with their kids because of this whole COVID thing. And I, I was asked to be the like art teacher twice a month. So then maybe that's your entree. Oh, yeah. And yeah, exactly. It's one thing I fear the most. If, if I'm going to fear one thing, am I good enough to teach? I don't know. I don't. I go through this oh. that self-doubt like we all do, but I really think I would really enjoy teaching people. Cheryl has made her mark in Provincetown in a variety of ways, including at the supermarket. Oh my God, what a blast. <laughs> it was five feet by 25 feet. I never did anything that large. And um, the new manager at the time, Melinda McCarthy at Stop and Shop, said, we live in an art colony. We should have art on our walls. And I thought, <laughs> geez, from a corporate standpoint, she's just thinking outside the box. I love it. Yeah. You know, I'd love the opportunity to do something like that. She says, come to me with a design or something, and uh, we'll talk about it. So I did. In the winter... When the store closed, I'd go in. They got scaffolding for me. And I, I put a, a call out to people in the community asking, hey, you have any old house paint around? And I, I was floored with uh, responses. And I just picked up all this old house paint. And that was what I used for my palette. And it, painted a, a mural at Stop and Shop called it, You've it, Arrived. I, that's such a great title. And... When you see the piece, when you see that mural on the wall, that's exactly when you come up over that, that little hill and then yeah. there it is. Yeah, it's, exactly. It was a blast. It's so great. I'm reading this really cool book, Originals, by Adam Grant, and he talks about original thinking. It's one of the inspirations for me starting this series is that the arts really does enable us to grow with our own curiosity, with the way we see, like we get to see how somebody else sees the world. I was just talking with, with a friend the other day about her art and there were little hearts in there and she didn't see them. You never know what somebody's gonna see. And as an artist, we get to share how we see the world with others. And that I believe in turn really allows others then to take up the mantle and say, exactly. I, I see the world a certain way, whether it's with words, language, whether it's with a paintbrush, whether it's with, exactly. it doesn't matter, any yeah. form, could even be food, it's whatever. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it gives you that permission and that inspiration. And right. I, I'm wondering how original thinking, it comes natural to you, it seems to me, but is it anything that you've given thought to? There was one show I was in, in, it was like maybe 10 or 12 years ago. It was all my um, nudes and my figures, but I did this one piece with a palette knife and very loose and very abstract. And I had someone come up to me and say, out of all this work here, this is the most mature. I looked at that and I went, wow. 
And what I got out of that was I have been in the room with models, so I'm rendering the model, but it was my interpretation that set it apart. Yep. And that I think is the key. We have a clean slate and as artists, we can either render exactly what we see. Personally, I think it's more interesting when you come from a place of total interpretation whatever it is and it could be abstract or it could be realistic but it's you have interpreted it whatever it is and then rendered it and i think it's one of the reasons why we so many of us really just love going to museums or looking through art books or going online and just looking at art because you look at the way somebody saw something or the way somebody interpreted it with original thinking right Sometimes it just blows you away. It can bring you to tears. This, this psychologist, Robert McRae, is quoted in the book uh, Originals, and it, he's quoted, the most open-minded people experience aesthetic chills, shivers, and goosebumps when appreciating art or hearing beautiful music. And it's so true, going to a, a live performance. Uh, it's a holy experience. Totally. Like when I hear the cello, it's like I could drop to my knees. And I think when you can allow yourself to be moved by art, when you can feel that, when it viscerally goes right through you. Do, if you can let art do that, if you can experience that with art, then maybe, just maybe, you can experience that with a, a slightly differing point of view. Like, you might be more willing to just tr look at something a little differently or... Yeah. And it's not, always, it's not always a pleasant experience. That's right. So uh, I have experiences where it's very painful. It was very difficult to process and to put it on canvas or to put it in, in a sculpture. If you're really tormented by something, it, in, it definitely triggers your creative uh, instincts as well as, oh my God, I'm so moved. It's so beautiful. Yeah. You know, so that's why we need art in the world. Cheryl, you touched on this a little bit with respect to your figurative nudes, but I'm curious if you can just say a little bit more about how the natural world has influenced your art through the years. Yeah, I always got in trouble in school <laughs> for daydreaming. I, my head was, my face was always out the window. I didn't pay attention a lot. I think I was always an observer. Mm -hmm. I would sit quietly and watch. I remember as a kid, like watching the construction guys tar a road and put a curb in like that fascinates me but i think being the observer and that observer part of myself gave me the hunger to travel mm. and see, see different parts of the world because i knew my little world growing up in marion connecticut uh blue collar town i knew it was beer it was it was so big that observer took me to being a adrenaline junkie where I did some crazy stuff in my life. All of that was in the natural world, like climbing Kilimanjaro or trekking in Nepal for 21 days. I only made it 16 though, because I got helicopter rescued out. These are big cerebral edema. These are big things. Kilimanjaro, not Kilimanjaro. My, I think, so, and even in survival courses that I took, where you're you're setting out on a desert in Utah, and all you have is a knife, a little bottle of water purification drops, and a cup. You're in the elements. You're put against nature, and it's most 
amazing way. You're stepping into this like world of, oh my God, what what do I need? Right. You know? All of that just plays into my choices in terms of what I choose to paint, what I choose to do. It's all relative. I'm I'm just so grateful that I I was able to have those experiences. Yeah. I still haven't I still haven't uh, died with the great white shark yet. So <laughs> that's next. And it is Shark Week. It is. I think it's so perfect that we're here tonight. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, and just think of the art that's going to come out of that. Oh, my God. My shark series. Is there anything that you've learned about your art or even about your own life through the lens of another artist's work? When you're truly inspired by, by another artist, like I have been with lately with Robert Motherwell, and when I see the technique that Cynthia Packard uses, not that you want to emulate them, but it, it stirs your creative mental process, and it, something's calling to you with those artists. Right. The reason that they inspire you. So something's energetically vibrating to say, wow, maybe you should try this. I asked Cheryl about challenges that arise in the studio. I have definitely experienced being tormented by it. Well, I live with depression, all right? So that right there is, uh, I'm challenged, even though, you know, I finally got on meds and I have been for a long time, but uh, it creeps in and there are certain things that present themselves as a challenge. And does it affect your creativity? Absolutely but you work through it. And some of my best, some of the best stuff comes from those really dark places. I have to say, I don't want to poo poo that either. I just say, if you feel it, paint it. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Yeah, That's... you're very welcome. Curious if there's a book, Change Your Life or? Yeah, let's see. Lust for Life was a book early on in my life that uh, when I was in Colorado, I read it. I was early 20s or late teens, early 20s living in Colorado. And I lived his life. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I only ate yeah. black bread and I only drank black coffee and for like weeks. So I wanted to see what that was like. And with Vincent Van Gogh's life, I, I will pick up an art book before I picked up a novel. And the art book is full of stories. That's just a different way of expressing a story. Um, What's your favorite book? Oh, my God. I don't even know where the hell to begin on that. You know what? I will, I'll just put another plug in for this book because I'm reading it right now. It's called Braiding Sweetgrass. It's by uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer. And I will tell you, for me, it's like scripture. She's changing the way that I am looking at and experiencing the natural world. Highly recommend it. I keep plugging Robin Wall. And one day, you know what? Maybe I'll just have her on. It. Yeah. Hey, you never know. Anytime we have an aha moment where uh, something pokes out at us that is different from yeah. the way we've thought about something or think about things. Yeah. it's I love that forces your thought process to go and, you know, really <laughs> open up when you're discussing that with other people. It's awesome. Yeah. And you've had that, Cheryl, and you have been down there in the schoolhouse I had the uh, good fortune of being able to sit in that, the, the old Cape Cod School of Art barn mm -hmm. and sit around that pot belly stove and sipping wine and having these heady discussions, with, which is what happened back in the day. Cheryl owned a gallery, Oils by the Sea, on Commercial Street for eight years. 
we talked about what it's like to sell art in a physical space. Uh, I miss it terribly. Just like every Friday night was like having a uh, social party at my in my living room with that red sofa and uh, highlighting one of the artists that was being featured. I miss Jim Broussard and Christine Sullivan and you know my dad who did his yes. uh, little sculptures, uh, wood, wood carvings. I mean, I, I miss all my artists and I miss the kids a lot, you know, during family week. Yeah. Uh, so that I miss, but the, the hours, oh my God. I work six double shifts and I don't miss that at all. I feel like I have a lot more freedom and I'm focusing on my own work right now, which is really great. Eight years was a, a great run. Up next, the lightning round of quirky questions. So what makes you awestruck, makes you say, wow? L listen, if I were in a shark cage and I was this close to that big black eye, yeah, yeah. I would be <laughs> awestruck. <laughs> I'm also awestruck when I see those little effervescent little, I don't know what you call them, luminaries that sit on the water's edge. Yes. Yeah. Time of year. This is the time of year where they're out, but it's those kinds of things. Yeah. Hard not to be awestruck by the things we find in nature. Okay. What's the kindest thing someone has ever done for you? <gasps> oh my gosh. The kindest thing someone has ever done for me. There's been so many. People are so, they're just so kind. I feel terrible that I, I can't think of just, you know, one. Maybe that's okay. Yeah. I don't know. Kind. Oh, my God. I'm going to have to get back to you on that. And I think it says everything that there have been so many that it's hard to just. Oh, totally. So that's just. A, that's... I'll tell you one. My friend Jen Rumsa, I just lost my little cat. Mm. And, and um, Patisco and. Jen Rums came to my house and she brought me a little painting that she did of her. Oh. And it was just like, oh my God, that was a gift. Yes. You know, things like that. Yes. yes. You know, and that's a great example of how we can give, like a gift doesn't have, you don't have to go to the store and buy something. You can make something. Oh, that's, I love that. That's, that, that's the best. Those are the greatest gifts of all. Yeah. yeah. Plus my wife, Dot, is always giving me th great things. So We love Dot. I we love Dot. Yeah. <laughs> what is your, do you have a favorite tree? I don't know the different species of them, but those big, gnarly, big, huge trunk trees where you know they're old souls. Yeah. Been here They've for been there for, oh my God, yeah. eons, and they're yeah. deeply rooted. And yes, I am a tree hugger. I love those kinds of trees that you know, wow, what they have seen over the years. Oh my God. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Here are some fun ones. What is your favorite smell? Oh, driving on an old country road and smelling manure. <laughs> I do. I love that. Get you it. Know, when you're driving yeah. by cow pastures and it's just, whoa, that's great. And also a freshly uh, mowed lawn. Mm, yes. I miss that. There's not much lawns here in Provincetown. A lot of sand. What's your least favorite smell? Uh, least favorite smell is something gone bad in the refrigerator <laughs> and I can't find it. <laughs> or tuna sandwich that's been in my truck for a couple of weeks. I'm like, oh my God, I forgot about this. Yeah. yeah, there's things in the fridge, they blend in and you can't. Oh my God, yeah, yeah. So that's, yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> All right, and the last question is, what is your favorite kitchen utensil? <gasps> 
Okay. My favorite kitchen utensil is my mother had, she loved to decorate cakes. Mm. She loved to, she loved to bake. She took a, a cake decorating uh, class and she had this old frosting applicator. I don't know what you call yeah. it. It's like with a really long silver thing. So you like, can. Like tube. Had the, had the tube. Yeah. So you could smear the, the frosting around a cake. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That thing. Ah. Oh. I don't know what it's called, but I still have it. And I use it in my studio to wow. apply paint. I'll smear paint around uh, the canvas and that works. And I always think of her. Hi, Irene. Great. So beautiful. Cheryl, thank you. Thank, thank you. So You're much. not going to ask me my best, my favorite word. What's your favorite word? Some on the beach. <laughs> what does that say it again? Some on the beach. <laughs> Some on the beach. <laughs> it's, it's an Italian word. <laughs> Hey, Deb, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Cheryl. Remember, we need art. We need creativity. We need your imaginations to see the world differently. That's right. Stay wild. Stay wild. What's <laughs> art got to do with it? Got to do with it? <laughs> Bye, Deb. Love you. Love you. You have been listening to What's Art Got to Do With It? I'm Deb Ondo. To follow Cheryl online, check out the show notes on whatsartgottodowithit.com. And if you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes and submit a review so more listeners can find us. Thank you for being here.